All right. Thanks, Pete. Good morning. How are you? Why don't you ask the person beside you, how are you this morning? Go ahead. Is there any way we could dim the lights just a little? Because then I could see you. If it's possible. If it's not, it's okay. You know. Why don't I come down? That's, that's less technical, but probably more effective. Oh, that's better. You are there. You are there. Would you guys stand, please? Thanks. Just get comfortable, whatever that is for you with the Lord. Just Maybe it's close your eyes, maybe it's put your hands out, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, I ask right now, in your incredible love and grace, pour out your presence, Come fill us, Lord. Fill us more and more and more. Thank you. Take us deeper today, O oh God, because we want to go deep with you. Thank you, Jesus. Anoint our time together. Amen. Have a seat, unless you feel like standing. <coughs> you know, uh, this is one of the first churches I ever came to, all the way back in 03. Um, that's a while ago. I was 11 years old. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know if you still do it, but you did a, a healing rooms here. And we were involved in helping get that going in Australia. So that's why you might have been the first, the second church, I guess, I ever came to here. This is my wife, Christina. We've been related by marriage for 47 and a half years in a row. Yeah, we got four sons and 14 grandkids. Go forth and multiply. So it's good. Um, rather than me, I want to give you a little bit of a context, but rather than me talking, it would be a long talk about what Impact Nations is doing. I've got a short video, and we'll let it do the talking. Came through the... In I, um, I actually put up the wrong video and didn't notice till we were well into it. But at any rate... We did that one about a year and a half ago, and I see that the figures are really out of date, really out of date. We're now, since COVID started, we're at 3.3 uh, million meals we've distributed, and uh, 
pushing 700,000 people with clean water and on and on. So it's been, it's been an exciting adventure and it continues to be. Basically, we do three things. We take people on trips, Journeys of Compassion, which Pete was on, and uh, that's about a 12-day trip. We go out into the front lines and we do uh, medical clinics and clean water and anti-malarial mosquito nets and feeding, but we also, everybody out there is praying for the sick every day and leading people to Christ day after day because we really, really believe that the gospel is a big gospel and it touches every part of life. And then besides that, we do uh, transformation through skills and business training and so forth, and we have a, a, a growing number of schools in different countries where people get rescued out of prostitution, out of prison, out of slums. We get them healed up, um, put them in in you know real positive environment, and then teach them life skills, teach them business skills. Then we give them loans, and they start their own businesses. Um, we were at a school graduation about six weeks ago with. Uh, 150 kids, young people who'd been rescued. Um, and even though uh, two months before graduation, 82% of them already had jobs. So we're very excited about it because the gospel touches every part of life. And then we do relief and, and so forth. Um, if you wanted to put up a slide with an ebook, I want to give you guys a book today. So that'll either be one on healing or prayer. Um, but when it comes up, if you want to just take a picture, QR code, or there's a, a web address, if you just go there, you get yourself a free book, which reminds me, we have books at the back. Um, oh, The Journey of Compassion is up instead. That's a good. It's not a free, that's, whoa, you guys are quick. So there you go. If you'd like, um, you can go home with a book. Just click on it now, take your phone out and do that. And, uh, and I'm really glad to give you that. Really glad to give you that. We'll keep it up for a minute while I'm talking so that there's time for people to get their phones out. How often does the preacher say, take your phone out? Um, we also, we have a Christmas catalog. We rescue uh, tens of thousands of lives through this. Uh, you can get everything from water filters to mosquito nets to uh, provide medicine, uh, a new one, Rescue the Persecuted, for $100, you can set the broken bones of a pastor who's been uh, attacked and injured. You can um, release a pastor uh, who has been wrongfully imprisoned, uh, pay, their, pay their, uh, their bail, or $500 to rescue a widow of a martyred husband. Uh, th these are all not just people out there. These are in our impact world. So it's, it's an interesting world right now. Anyway, we don't have any more of these. We've given out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in this country. But if you go on impactnations.com, everybody say impactnations.com. Say it like you mean it. Um, you can look at our, uh, our, at our calendar. And the last thing was that Philippines slide. There we go, uh, May 14 to 26, and um, you'll do the stuff every day, every day, the practical, the, the supernatural.
So there we go. I'm done with the announcements. I got asked to teach on the Ministry of Reconciliation. And um, I said I'd be glad to. So let's start with a couple of classic reconciliation verses. This is part of your whole series on Christ and mission and church. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Who did he give it to? Who? Us. us. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against him. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, Colossians 1.20 says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, say all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he's given us what we've received to give away. Remember uh, Matthew 10.8, freely you've received, freely give. So what does this tell us? Um, about the central ministry and the message of the church. Well, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that. Ambassadors of Christ. Where's the citizenship of an ambassador? The country that sent him. Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven, not in Australia. Your primary identity is as a son and daughter, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is a shift of our thinking that is profound. It's easy to get the concept. You can get it in five seconds. The implications of that go on and on and on through our whole lives. The primary message that captures the essence of this kingdom of God is reconciliation. And that's what I've been asked to talk about today. Um, Peace and reconciliation are anchored in Jesus' life, in his teaching, and, and in the resurrection. Now, yes, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means for us, uh, this ministry of reconciliation. Because I want, I want us to have a little bit of that practical understanding. But then I'd like to, with the help of the Lord, I'd like to go deeper into this whole issue of reconciliation because it is a lot more than making up with friends or enemies. It's a lot more than forgiving, but it includes those things. It's a lot more than, than being a positive force, a, a, a peacemaker. It includes that, but, but we so easily stop there. We say, okay, I'm going to do those things. I'd like to go deeper today. So reconciliation in us. That's our starting point. We're to imitate Jesus. What did Jesus do right off the bat? He goes and he prays all night and he gathers 12 disciples. And it's, it's obvious. It's perfect. He's got highly educated with virtually illiterate. He's got political zealots with lackeys to the Roman Empire. Do you see what he's doing even as he picks these led by the Father? He is the very makeup 
of the disciples is about reconciliation. It's about diversity. It's about inclusion, which is a key word. Reconciliation can only happen if we live inclusive lives. I've said all over this country for five weeks, gospel is always inclusive. Always. Jesus lived the most inclusive life ever. He said to the people who self-excluded, to the prostituted women, to the, to the lackeys, to the Romans, they were thieves. He said, you come too, of course you're included. He said it to the disabled, of course you're included. He said it to those whose lives were complete mess, were trapped in a history of abuse and shame and guilt. Read all about it in Acts 4 or Luke 7. He said, you come too. Guys, religion can look really nice, but the nature of religion is exclusive, not inclusive. Did you know that? Because religion says... If you'll believe like us, pray to receive Jesus. If you'll talk like us, if you'll act like us, then you can be us. Do you see that? Inclusion says you already belong. You just didn't know it. You come to is what Jesus' whole life shouted out. Are you getting this? And it does rattle our cages. I every now and then get to go into churches where there's obviously incredible brokenness. In fact, I go to one. Where obviously people are coming out of drug addiction every week. Women are coming off work in the streets every week. That's an inclusive gospel. Didn't even know I was going to go down that road. But inclusion is a necessary part of reconciliation. The very act of reconciling includes. The very act of including reconciles. You guys tracking? Okay. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the Beatitudes. By the way, one of those books back there is called the Beatitudes for a Time of Crisis. And uh, I think we've only got three of my books there, but it's, it's my favorite one. I'll let you in on that inside secret. Because I think not only does it give us keys to how to live as Jesus lived, it actually gives us keys of who Jesus is. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons and daughters of God. Peacemaking, inclusion, reconciliation marks us as belonging to God. And so there's no, no option. And it's so important right now, isn't it? Paul said a couple of times in Romans, he said, let us then pursue what makes for peace. What makes for peace. I'm living in America. I'm a Canadian. Oh, Canada. That's me. Okay? But I live in America. And I don't know what it's like here exactly, although I've been here five weeks. I've had my antenna up. It is so divisive in America. It's incredibly divisive. Republican, Democrat, vax, anti-vax, racial injustice. They're making a big deal about nothing and on and on and on. And so it's the opposite of reconciliation. But God says 
make peace as much as it's up to you. Be a peacemaker because that's what marks you as a son or daughter of God. Not how many Bible verses you know. Not if you go to the Wednesday prayer meeting. That's what marks you. You are a peacemaker. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. Now, I'm pretty sure that that's part of the intention of today's message, was about us being reconcilers, us being ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors of reconciliation, we're given the assignment and the identity and the task to embody this message in our words and our actions. And in so doing, when we choose to do that, we continue in the ministry of Jesus, and God makes his appeal through us, Paul says. He makes his appeal through us as ambassadors when we walk in reconciliation. This is what we're called to be. You see, we're new creation people. We're part of the new community, an entirely different reality. And this is what new creation people look and sound like. They're peacemakers. They're reconcilers. The essence of new creation people is to seek reconciliation and peace, which comes through forgiveness. If we hold on to unforgiveness then we are, I'll tell you what we're doing. This too I've been sharing all over this country. The whole movement of creation, the whole movement of the cosmos, which reflects the creator, right? Creation reflects creator, everybody would agree with that? Go like that. Is forgiveness, love, mercy, grace, compassion. When we move in that direction, we are moving in the flow of the way God has made the cosmos to be. We are moving in the rhythm of the kingdom. When we say, I can't forgive that guy. Remember Jesus said at the end of the Lord's prayer, he said, oh, and by the way, if you don't forgive, then your father won't forgive you. Remember that one? And it always used to sound me, I'd read through the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven and everything's great. And then at the end, and Boom! And by the way, if you don't forgive, Father won't forgive you. Anybody ever get jolted by that one? I don't think he's saying, okay, if you don't forgive, Father's just going to say, forget that, Jack. What he's really saying is, if I decide not to forgive Fred, because you don't know what he did to me, God, he was just a rat. If I make that choice, which I have, I am choosing to go away from the whole direction and movement of God and the kingdom and the cosmos itself. So he's not punishing me. He's saying, hey, I'm over here. You guys tracking? All right. Now, let's talk a little deeper about reconciliation. And I want to talk about the cross. I don't know if any of you are interested, but on impactnations.com, has anybody mentioned that website to you in the last 20 minutes? I do a weekly podcast. 
and I, I teach for nearly an hour, and then there's a discussion. And if you look at season five, I think about episode 49 to 53, um, you'll see uh, where I'm teaching on the cross. So I'll be able to go a lot deeper than I can go in the next 10 minutes, all right? But if you're curious, go there. Podcast, episode, or season five, started about 49. But let's now talk briefly. This just about killed me to figure out how to say this in a few minutes, but there you go. We're supposed to die daily, aren't we? Um, all right. Reconciliation in the cross. Christ on the cross unveils the identity and the nature of God as one who reaches out to the other, even the enemy, and seeks reconciliation. What's the last thing he said in Luke's gospel? He said, Father, forgive them. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is about relationship. What's, what did he do at the end of John's gospel? He says, John, take care of her. She's your mom now. Mother, take care of John. Reconciliation at the very heart of the cross, even Jesus hanging on the cross with his last words. Now, I believe that the cross, more than anything else, is the Father's invitation to come home. I think the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, is about many things. But at its heart, it's about coming home. And that's what I think the cross is about. The cross is God's great reclamation project. It's huge. It's at the center of all time, right? B.C. and A.D., right? It is absolutely at the center of everything. It's, it's the, the cross is greater than the original creation itself. Because God wasn't surprised by the fall. He knew ultimately there was something better and beyond that. It is the recreation of all things. If we start to understand the gospel of the kingdom is about the recreation of all things, it changes the way we live our lives. It changes what our gospel is. It changes everything. This is at the heart of the message of reconciliation. The recreation of all things in the cosmos. Thus the cross exists in time, but it is the eternal power of all things in the cosmos. It's been called the axis of love. I believe, along with St. Gregory of Nyssa, that when Paul said in Ephesians 3.8, how long, how wide, how high, how deep. It's the love of Christ. I agree with St. Gregory who said he was writing the cross over the cosmos with those words. Very intentional words. So this is how huge the cross is. Therefore, reconciliation is bigger than we thought it was. Now, in 21st century evangelicalism, we tend to emphasize individual spiritual experiences, personal piety, uh, our individual salvation. And, you know, this can lead to just a general lack of compassion and care uh, and interest even in the human struggle. I mean, we're faced with it all the time all over the world. 
But I think that's one of the byproducts of a very personal gospel. It's about, we've got too small of a gospel. I've said this all over the country too. Our gospel, and I see it all over the world, developing world, uh, the Western world, our gospel essentially comes down to this. Come to Jesus, come to church, go to heaven. That gospel would have made no sense to the early church. They wouldn't have known what on earth you were talking about. You see, the gospel is what I'm trying to share with you here. It is the recreation of all things. It is the eternal and final and ultimate purpose of God for everything in the cosmos. That's a bigger gospel than come to Jesus, come to church, go to heaven. Amen? But in our evangelicalism, we've made it too small. And I think that this goes back to an inadequate understanding of the cross. And I also think that we as evangelicals move way too quickly from the, the pain uh, and, and the staggering reality of God being tortured on the cross to the victory of Resurrection Sunday. We move there way too quick. Way too quick. The historic church never did that. Never did that. Suffering and love are the great transformers. I agree with Richard Rohr. He says those are the only two real transformers of our lives. Suffering and love. And that's what we have at the cross, isn't it? So the cross is about reconciliation and restoration. At the cross, Jesus is not just saving individuals, which is what you thought it was. So did I with every eye closed and every head bowed. The cross, Jesus is recreating the world and the cosmos. Is that a bigger gospel? Christ did not suffer so that we might be exempt from suffering. That also has crept into our 21st century evangelicalism. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to be happy. That's not the gospel, and it's not the cross. He did not suffer so that we might be exempt, rather that our suffering may be like his. Listen to me. The crucified Christ does not offer us a way around suffering, but a way through it. Psalm 77, 19. His path is in the heart of the sea. It's not so much about substitution as he's with us. It's saving companionship. Am I going too fast? Anybody here still awake? If I nod off, somebody throws something at me. Our lives of reconciliation are so much more than trying to be nice, trying to be peacemakers which we're supposed to be trying to be kind which we're supposed to be it's so much bigger than that they are a reflection our lives are meant to be a reflection of this great act of reconciliation which we call the cross okay i'm going to jump in the water a little bit here everybody's still good for me to keep going and I'm going to rattle a few cages, but I got great news for you. 
I'm flying back to the U.S. Tuesday morning. Many of us as evangelicals have heard a motif, a theme, a theory of what the cross is about. And if you want to know the theological term, it's penal substitutionary atonement. And it basically says this. All of humanity has incurred the wrath of God. Because of his holiness, God must punish sin. So Jesus took our punishment upon himself. We've all heard that. And on the cross, he underwent, he experienced the full wrath of the Father. But by deflecting God's wrath to himself, he took it away from me. You hear again the individual gospel? And you know what? Among evangelicals, we've assumed that this is just standard theology for all time. It, I can't, can't give you, you've got to take my word for it. It, was nev it never entered the minds of the church, the church fathers, the leaders. It never crossed their mind. The first hint of it was in 1082, and that was only one guy. And then there's this fella, 26 years old, who comes along, and he lives in a world where there's great social change, and, and they develop legal, the first complex legal system in history is in Western Europe in the 16th century. And, and it's all about justice. So this guy superimposes his worldview, which isn't a bad thing, we all do it. And his name was John Calvin. And he said these things that I just gave you. This is what the cross is about. Holy God, too righteous to look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13, by the way, if you read the whole verse, because that one's always quoted, you are too holy to look upon sin. And we stop. Comma. Therefore, why do you? Hmm. I just gave you some reading for this afternoon. So I have some problems with this. It gives us a violent view of God. And I think that gives us permission to be violent. And so we get things like just war theory. War is only acceptable if it's just. Guess what? Everybody thinks their side has got a just reason for the war. Anybody notice that? It validates retributive justice. Do you know what I mean by retributive? You've got to pay a price. That is the exact opposite of what Jeff asked me to talk about today, reconciliation. Those are two opposite poles. It places violence at the center of God's interaction with humanity. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Not God is love and wrath or anything. It's God is love, period. Everybody say God is love, period. Mm, some of you are even having trouble saying it. You're not bad guys. You've just heard some theology that's really over here. So this presentation of what took place at the cross has led to a whole distortion of the purpose of salvation. Everything is about personal salvation. But at the cross, Jesus was reconciling 
all of humanity to the Father, not individuals, one by one, although we always say that. Salvation is bigger than me. It's about his work in history and in the world. It is about God creating for himself a people. And so this penal substitutionary atonement, PSA, has, here's what it's done to the gospel. If we pray the right thing, if we say the right thing, if we do the right thing, then we will receive a good verdict in the heavenly court of law. I think that this is what, why scorekeeping is, is so pervasive in the church. Why we have this mild view in the back of our mind that if God's not angry, he's at least a little disappointed. If we just prayed a little more, if we just read our Bibles a little more, he's never disappointed in you. I'm going to tell you that right now. Never for a single day of your life, ever, has God been disappointed in you. You're the apple of his eye. He delights over you. He, he rejoices over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17. That's the, that's the God, the Father that Jesus came to introduce to the world. And he said, come home. The early church never heard anything like that. Can I go a little longer? Let me give you a quote from a good Canadian theologian. There's another view that's been called Christus Victor. A guy named Gustav Allen articulated this um, nearly 100 years ago. Let me give you a quote. Classically, the Christus Victor theory of atonement is widely considered to be the dominant theory for most of the historical church. It still is outside of evangelicalism, and it was the only theory until Mr. Calvin came along. The cross did not pay off God or anyone, but defeated evil, thereby setting the human race free. The work of Christ is first and foremost a victory over the powers which hold mankind in bondage. That's sin, death, and the devil. In his humanity... Christ takes on the wound of Adam, the effects of the fall, and with the Father together, they cleanse the human race. The Father cleanses the human race in the body of his Son. It's not through punishment, but it's through divine love poured out. Do you hear me? I, I rattled some people. I'm doing right now. I'm at home. First John is the is the teaching series right now, and I've rattled some people when I said I think, in its essence, sin doesn't need to be paid for. It needs to be healed. That's what I think. You can read all about it in Isaiah 53, as long as you read the version of the Bible that Jesus and Paul in the early church read, which is the Septuagint. That's another topic for another day. It was a wound that was healed, not the chastisement of the Father poured out. 
The good and beautiful news is that Jesus has come to rescue, redeem us from the curse of sin, which is death. How does he do this? He died as our substitute and he bore our sin and guilt by voluntarily experiencing the full force of the powers that be and their rebel kingdom. To save us, Jesus experienced the full consequence of sin that we otherwise would have experienced. On the cross, Jesus absorbs into himself the divine sentence against sin and death. And when he did that, and again, if you want to know more, go to the podcast. I spent hours on this. When he did that, he broke open the gates of hell. He destroyed the power of sin and erased the law that stood against us. He freed us to receive the Holy Spirit and walk in right relatedness with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sin is a satanic force that is broken. And another day I'll talk to you about the difference between sins, when you got angry, when you lied, when you looked at something you shouldn't, and sin, which is a force. John, read, read 1 John carefully, and you'll see he's always explaining the difference between sin, this great force that Christ broke, and sins. Christ assumes the whole human condition in order to heal it all. He demonstrated the Father's grace and freedom to forgive sin by freely forgiving us. And he did it throughout his whole life and his whole ministry. It didn't just start on the cross. Let me say that again. He demonstrated the Father's grace and forgiveness. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, 20, I'm in the Father, you're in me, I'm in you. It's called perichoresis, if anybody cares. It's this union we have. The cross reaches across all time and space. Jesus demonstrates the Father's forgiveness even for the supreme human sin of killing God. It was not the wrath of God the Father that put Jesus on the cross. It was the wrath of man that put him on the cross. The powers that be. For some of you, I just did 180 probably giving you indigestion. The Father's answer comes through the voice of the Son when he says, it is finished. Our sin is forgiven. Our lives are washed clean by this ultimate act of mercy and grace. Since he has freely forgiven us, we are reconciled to the Father. But the curse of sin still has to be broken, so death itself had to be eradicated. So Christ does for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. He dies to enter death. 1 Peter 3, 18-21. He dies to enter death and go and overcome it. His sacrifice was not... This pagan concept of appeasing an angry God. When we believe that, we've just joined all the other pagan worship. Baal and Shemoth, etc., etc. We just 
because it wasn't that. Let me say it again. The sacrifice of Christ was not the pagan appeasement of a wrathful God, but rather the sacrificial love of a God who became man to enter the human condition, even including death and Hades itself, in order to rescue his beloved children. Now that's reconciliation. That's reconciliation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. This is the exchange of one cosmos, one age for another, and it has begun. That's why Jesus said it is finished. More accurately, he said it is accomplished. Because of the cross, we're invited to return to the arms of the Father who opened the way back home through his Son, the torn veil, which we all know about. He's bringing us back to the Father. As we respond, we experience now what Christ has already accomplished. Folks, it's not transactional. I've been saying this all over this country too. It's not if you pray the prayer, if you do whatever is on your list, then God will give you eternal life. No, the gospel is it's already accomplished. It's already done. And when I go to the nations and when I talk in villages and slums and everywhere, I tell them, I've got incredible news for you. It's already done. If I was to take my watch off and, and say, I'm going to give you my watch if you do this, this, and this, what kind of gift is that? That's a transaction. We're doing a deal. Jesus never did a deal with anybody ever. Read about it all the way through the Gospels. Did he ever once say, well, listen, first you need to clean up your act. First you need to come to church. Instead, it's like, here's the watch. Yeah, you got to take it, but it's already done. It's completely paid for, completely. That is a more beautiful gospel. The other gospel, my salvation is up to me. If I don't pray the prayer, if I don't do the deal, I don't get saved. That means I'm in control of my own salvation. He's the cosmic Christ. He's the one who holds all of creation together for all time. And that includes me. And it's already finished. Is that a bigger gospel? I'm just about there. I already told you, the cross is the cruciform, the axis of love. How long, how wide, how high, how deep. To save us, he experienced the full consequence of sin that we otherwise would have experienced. And in so doing, he broke open the gates of hell and destroyed the power of sin and erased the law that stood against us. This is the power of his all-consuming love. This is the heart of reconciliation. The restoration of the entire cosmos. This is the force of reconciliation. And this is our gospel. And that's all I got to say about that. Did I give you anything to think about? Let's stand.
That's why I insist it's a beautiful gospel. We did a conference in May. People came from countries in Europe and Africa and South America and Australia and North America, and it was called the beautiful gospel. You can find that on our website, too. Our gospel's been too small. It's been too conditional. It's been too transactional. It stands at the center of the cosmos, at the center of time. This Christ who is beyond time, who is beyond space, who's beyond matter, who... This is the gospel. And how can our gospel be any bigger than our revelation of Christ? And the greatest revelation of God, of who he is, is Christ on the cross with nails driven through his hands and his feet. That's the highest revelation of God. Why could I say that? The Apostle John, Revelation 5. He hears, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, which we love to sing about. And he turns ready to see this lion, and what's he see? A slain lamb. This is the highest revelation. This is the self-emptying. This is the one who invites us all home. Because the door's already open and you don't have to do anything to get the door open. So Lord, I ask for you to just help us now. I've kind of given a lot. Because there was only one kick at the can, Lord. So I'm asking that everything that I've said that's from you, would you just let it stick? Would you let it go into our hearts and our minds? And what isn't, just blow it away. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you with a bigger gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless that the eyes of your heart will be opened, that he will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him, the fullness of God. I bless you. Bless you to give that gospel away. I bless you to live in that reconciliation. So, Lord, just pour out your mercy and grace on these folks. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.